Happy Easter. Good to see you all here. An interesting thing, I mean, I saw some of you last week and, and I saw some of you last year. And some of you don't know that we actually meet 51 times <laughs> in between. And it's not just on Easter, but it's okay. We're going to treat you all like you are regulars here. But I know there are people that oftentimes will say, you know, I, I tried church, but I got to tell you, if you just come on Easter, you think we tell the same story all the time. And it's, it's a great story and it's worth telling all the time, but we do talk about other things. We, we do talk about relationships. We do talk about how to invest our lives in things that are healthy for us. We, we, there's a lot more than just the resurrection. But since it's Easter, we should probably talk about the resurrection. And so we're going to, but what I wanted to do is try and give us just uh, some things that will be helpful to talk about how the re resurrection actually relates to our life and affects how we live, because it should. And so we're going to be going through a number of scriptures. First, we're going to start in John chapter 10. If you need a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand and they'll run one out to you. And we're going to get started in John chapter 10, starting at verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved or be safe. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is one of the sayings that Jesus puts out there that should cause us to stop, and, and we're going to look at a number of them. But when Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it to the full. A lot of times what we will do is we will hear, I have come that they might have a full life. But that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, I have come that they may have life. And that that life would be to the full. The emphasis is on the word life. And so Jesus says, I've come that they might have life. And you might be thinking, but I already am alive. But Jesus does this. He, he talks and he tells us these kinds of things as if we should know that what we really need is life. And he says, I've come that you might have life and that your life might be to the full. And it shouldn't surprise us that there are times when we find ourselves existing but not really alive, that I can look back and remember when I was actually searching for life, but I didn't know it was that. I was just searching for meaning. I was just searching for something. I wanted something, and I wasn't exactly sure what it was. And so I, I kept pursuing things to try and fill up what this need was. And I think a lot of people recognize that. I mean, it's not a, a foreign thing. Even... Mark Twain said, most men die at 27, we just bury them at 72. And his implication is that people just kind of stop trying to live. They just kind of exist. 
And what a shame that is if we are just giving up and just existing. Well, Jesus has come that we might have life. And how do we get this life is the meaning of today. You see, we try so many things. And we live in a society that is trying to, to fill itself. They, they've done studies and they have found that there's been a, a shift in our language. And the things that are written, the things that are posted on social networks, that there is a decline of the words we and us and an increase of the word I and me. There's a huge shift. And so we start to be known as a narcissistic society that's all about themselves. And people think, why does anyone want to post something on Facebook? Why do I care what you had for lunch? Why do I care what you look like in the bathroom with your shirt off? <laughs> and so there's this label of a narcissistic society that's all about themselves. But a PhD named Brene Brown has written a book that's incredible. It's called Daring Greatly. And she talks about entering into a place of vulnerability to deal with shame. And what she has discovered through 10 years of research is that the majority of the reason people are so narcissistic is because they are trying to cover up shame. And instead of becoming vulnerable and letting people see that they really are insecure, they try and put up a front and so they try and make the best image they can so that people will get this idea. But the truth is that there's not a satisfaction with their life. In fact, there is a fear that what they are doing is just living an ordinary life. And maybe it's because of reality TV or what have you, but this idea of, I don't want an ordinary life, this fear of I'm going to live till 27 and then they're going to bury me at 72 is just frightening. But it's so evident. I mean, fill in the blanks. I'm not tall enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not talking just about me. <laughs> I'm not successful enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good enough. And we live in a society where there is this scarcity. And the word scarcity comes from the word scar, a lack of replenishment. And so what we are doing is trying to fill in this lack because we don't feel that we're smart enough. We don't feel that we're good enough. We don't feel that we know enough or can really present things. And so we put up a front instead of being honest, instead of being vulnerable, instead of admitting, I don't have it all together. L let me ask you a question. How many of you think that if you were to be vulnerable, honest about yourself, that it would be just a sign of your weakness, that people would see how weak you are. How many people think that? If you were vulnerable, you'd be weak. Just five of you? Six of you? The other of you are too scared to raise your hands. 
I don't want you to think that I really think that. But let me ask you this. How many of you, when someone is honest and open about themselves, actually see them as courageous? What's the difference? Why do we see the lack in ourselves as weakness, but someone admitting lack as courageous, but don't put the two together? You see, we don't want people to know the need that we have. But it's there. And God knows it's there. And he wants us to admit it so that he can fill in the scarcity. So that we can be truly set free from these things. We like to witness other people's vulnerability, but we try to hide it ourselves. Turn with me to Luke 24. Jesus has been crucified. He is now, this is the resurrection. This is why we're here. And as he appears, we're going to focus in on some of the things that he says and what are we supposed to do with these things. And starting at verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, isn't that an interesting question? It's almost like, duh, what are you here for? You get this kind of sense of sarcasm, but put yourself there. What would you do with that question? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? I'd probably say, I'm not. I was looking for the dead among the dead. But these angels seem to talk about, don't you know? Don't you get it? Have you ever had a conversation with someone? Maybe it was your spouse or one of your kids, where you're talking with them and they make a statement to you. They tell you their stand on something. Maybe it's on, you know, politics or on something. And they they say this to you and you say, yeah, I, I see your point, but I disagree. And when you say I disagree, it just makes them want to repeat what they just said. And so they say it again because maybe you didn't understand what I said. So they say it again and you say, no, I, I understand. This time they say it with more passion and a little bit louder. He said, no, I understood, I just disagree. And then they say it again, this time very slowly using smaller words to make sure that you fully understand what it is I am saying. And you say, the problem isn't that I don't understand, I don't agree. Well, it seems like these angels are just saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they're just, "Um, what do you say to that? And so they go on while, verse 6, He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. 
Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. I love that. So if you're here this morning and you think, you know, this whole Jesus rising from the dead seems like nonsense, you're in a good place to maybe be a follower of Jesus. Just letting you know, you you have the credentials. Because that's what they thought. But maybe you'll take the next step like Peter, however, who got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. What just happened? Why are we looking for the living among the dead? What does that mean? How can what is dead be alive? And so they start trying to figure this out, and then they start remembering the things that have happened, that Jesus has said to them. And so turn to John chapter 11. Here's an event that shook them up pretty good. And we're going to go through this. I'm going to try and go through these things quickly. Chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I love that. Jesus is not indifferent the one he loves. It was something that was noticeable. The one that you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Again, I love that he loved these people. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't make sense to me. If you loved them, you would go. But he stayed for two more days. And sometimes we feel that God is indifferent. God, I I need something now. Don't you see what I need? And we feel like he's waiting a couple of days. And I don't have a couple of days. The bills are due now. The, The need for this healing is now. But he loved them. Goes on, he says in verse six. So when he heard this, Lazarus, he stayed there for two more days. Verse seven. And then said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you're going back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble. For they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. So, Lord, they were trying to kill us, remember? And then Jesus goes into this poetical little thing. Ah, you know, what about this? Like, they tried to kill us. What's this daylight nighttime stuff that you're talking about? And, and I'm not being flippant. They really didn't get it, as we're going to see. They really had a difficult time understanding what was taking place here. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. 
his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. In other words, this is below your pay grade. You don't need to go to wake him up. Someone else can wake him up. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And we start seeing that Jesus has this language issue with death. He doesn't talk about it like we do. We think dead, doom, final. Jesus says, oh, he's sleeping. No. Well, if he's sleeping, someone can wake him up. You don't need to go back. And so Jesus, in verse 14, so Jesus told him plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so now the disciples are like, okay, first this light, this dark thing, he's sleeping, we can leave him alone. Now he's dead. And why would we go back to him if he's dead? Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Now, you know what he's saying? They tried to stone you before. Oh, well, if we're going to go, let's all go die together. boy, Thomas. Pep talk. We're all going to go and die together. And so you've got this cloud kind of following Jesus and his disciples. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And these are powerful words. It's like, Lord, you could have stopped this, but I know God still listens to you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She gave her her little spiritual, I know when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. You know, in that day, someday. You know, I, I know someday he'll rise again, but Jesus pushes it more, and Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Again, if I was there, I would have said something like, which one? Do I believe that whoever believes in you will live even though they die, or do I believe whoever lives by believing in you will never die? You can't have them both. Do I believe that I'm going to live and not die, or do I believe I will never die, or die and still live? I don't, I don't get it. And she says, I... I Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come to this world. And she goes, I know you're the one, but I don't think she knew what he was talking about. And I don't think we understand because we live in this kind of chronological way of you live, then you die, and then comes the afterlife. But Jesus seems to be talking about, no, you live, and then you still live, but not the same because you die physically, but life continues. And so there isn't this, oh, I'm 
living and then I'm dying and then I'm coming back to life. No, there is, you are alive. And so what Jesus is pushing on us is that the best proof that there is life after death is that there is life before death. That if you are connected to life, you will not die. Well, how do we get connected to life? Well, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that whoever believes this and trusts in me, even though they die, they're going to live. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. And so he is rearranging the way we think of life and death. And his whole chronological way of talking about this just throws us off because that's not how we see things. As it goes on, Jesus says, where have you laid them? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, the shortest scripture, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how much he loved them. Go down to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with the stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. They weren't expecting this. But Lord, said Martha and the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad order, odor. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to them, Did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. So Jesus is talking with God not because he needs to, because he wants them to hear. He wants them to eavesdrop on his conversation. God, I, you know this, but I'm saying this because they don't know this. So I'm talking to you out loud so that they can hear me talk to you right now for their benefit, standing here, that they may believe. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out of the tomb. And so these words of Jesus, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me, Though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Those words are now backed up because he did it. He's given the proof to what he can do. And as he does this amazing thing, they're marveling. But you know something? Lazarus isn't with us today, right? You guys all know that? You know, yeah, go back to Jerusalem. He's got a house there by the Mediterranean. No, Lazarus still died. He's one of the few guys you could say, been there, done that, you know. Lazarus still died, but you see, in Jesus' declaration, no, he didn't. That death is different because of who he is. And so let's look a little bit more closely in John 14, again, I love his discourse with the disciples because I can so identify with them. 
Jesus gives this declaration, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many rooms. Some translations say mansions. The idea, it's a metaphor. It's letting us know we are going to be with him. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Okay, he says to the disciples, you got to see this. You know the place that I'm going. At this time, the disciples are probably looking at each other. Do you know the place? What place is he going to? I don't know. And, and so no one wants to say anything because no one wants to be vulnerable. No one wants to admit, I, I don't know except Thomas. I love Thomas again. The honest one said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Have you ever talked with someone and they said, well, I told you. And you say, no, you didn't. Go, no, I did. Well, this is Thomas saying, Lord, you didn't tell us. There's 12 of us here. We don't know where you're going. None of us got the text. Okay? We don't know where you're going to. So I don't want you to go and then us not know how to get there. I mean, this is their frame of mind. I don't know how to get to where you're talking about. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Thomas, or Philip says, Show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and so they're trying to find out, how do we get to where you're going to go? And he says, I am where you're going. It's about me. I am the life. You see, you don't need to find life somewhere out there. You need to find me because I am life. And I think so many times, why do we look to find the life that we're needing among things that are dead? Why are we looking for the living among the dead? Why do we try and fill our lives with so many things that give us the imitation of life? That little fix that'll give us a rush. Maybe it'll be a drug, an intoxication, some kind of partying. Maybe it'll be a relationship, some kind of lust or, or sexual experience. All these things to, to give us kind of a jump start that I'm alive. And we do these things trying to make ourselves alive because we're so afraid that we really aren't. And that vulnerability that we hide our shame and don't allow ourselves to really admit what we need so that we can find the truth for our souls. We end up trying to fill it with something else. And we are left short and hurting. I don't think we should fear death because it's in our future. I 
think we should fear death because it might be in our present. It might be something that is with us now. And maybe that's what we're trying to hide from. That's what we're putting up the false presentation for. And that's the real need. You see, Jesus cares about all the situations in your life, your hurts, your struggles, your addictions, your pains. He loves and cares for you. But what Jesus came for was the dilemma that you need life. And what we celebrate today what we recognize today is that he is the one who gives it. And that's why he came, that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. That they wouldn't bury you at 72 or 52 even though you died a long time ago or were never alive. He came that you might have life. And this vulnerability, this honesty, it's the birthplace for love. It's the birthplace for joy. It is the birthplace for empathy. It is the birthplace for courage. It's the birthplace for for life. Jesus said, if anyone wants to find his life, he will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Whoever will be honest that they don't have life and that they need the life that I have can find it. Question is, do we believe this? Will we trust the Lord for our lack? Will we let Him fill the scar? Will we let Him take the whole? and put his life within it? Or will we put up a, a brave front and continue to try and fill life with things that are dead? And so what I wanted to present this morning to us isn't that just Jesus is alive. It's that in him is life. And this life is the light of all men, John tells us. And this is where you and I find life itself in the person of Jesus. And I love that the disciples, with all their questions and all their doubts, and all their mess-ups 
ask the questions that you and I really ask, but maybe are afraid to ask. But are you afraid to let God see and be honest with who you really are? Are you honest enough and vulnerable enough to deal with the fact that perhaps today the problem you have is that you don't have life. Oh, oh you're walking, you're talking, you're, you're doing lots of things, but you don't have life. And maybe something is drawing you to that reality, to understand this. And you're saying, I, I do want life. Got great news. There's life to be found. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I remember when you spoke life into my soul. And Lord, it's hard to explain. And hard to understand that we can actually be dead. We exist, but we're not really alive. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning who is in that condition, that you would speak life to them. That you would draw them to yourself. Right now, even as we are praying and, and our eyes are closed, maybe this morning the things that Jesus has spoken and the things that I've led us to in the scripture have made you aware of your vulnerability, of the need that you have. And, and right now, what you can do is ask Jesus for life. Know that he loves you, even as he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That he cares for you. And that you would find the courage to be honest. That you would be vulnerable so that you could receive the life that God gives. And all you need to do is ask. Lord, if there is anyone here in that place right now, again, speak to them and quicken your life in them even as they turn their heart and ask you. Lord, I thank you for this day, a day of remembrance, a day of hope, a day where we look at how you changed everything, how you, you took us and transformed us and made us alive and made us a whole new creation in you. I pray you continue to do that today. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.